I trust you're making plans to be with us tonight at six o'clock. Uh, we have been faithful over the last few weeks. We, we committed ourselves to 40 hours of prayer, uh, that we would pray in unity, seeking God's face, that we would hear from God. We, this past week, committed to touch 1,250 homes nearby our campus with the gospel and an invitation to come this week. And I pray that, uh, that you have been blessed as a result of that. I, I myself received a bag, and I want you to know I am saved. And I am grateful that uh, that, that came to my house. Tonight, uh, Tom Richter will be leading us as he preaches. And uh, Brother Don from First Albertville uh, will be leading our worship. I can't stress to you enough how important it is to be part of what God's doing here. The invitation that you have, uh, I want you to know that tonight will be highly evangelistic. This will be a great time to invite a friend or family member, a co-worker or schoolmate that just needs to be with Jesus. And we will do everything that we can in preparation to get to that point. We will pray. We will continue praying. We will prepare the way. But we need to reach out to those around us. And I pray that you would do that. And just pray that God would be glorified tonight. Also remind you that for our children, sixth grade and under, we have a puppet ministry that's coming in tonight that will be taking care of them and and then kindergarten uh, down through nursery, they'll be taken care of downstairs. So we have something for everyone this evening and each evening thereafter. So I pray that you would be part of that. We're going to be in First Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4 this morning. This is the last in the series of Becoming a Great Church. And becoming a great church has everything to do with following what God said to do to be a great church and less about what we want to do, what we're feeling comfortable doing, but we simply follow what he says. So we've gone through all of this and we're ending up. Note that a great church serves together. A great church serves together. Beginning next week, we look at kingdom results. So that short series there before we get into the Easter time is uh, a reflection of what happens when we do these things that we've just talked about. What happens when we are all in, when we're surrendered to that, when we're committed to that, and we're following Christ, what are the results of that? So we'll look at kingdom results for the following four weeks. First Peter chapter 4. Now Peter wrote this letter around 60. AD, so it was about 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus had told the disciples when he was with them that he would be crucified, that he would be buried, and that he would be raised again. And, and just as he said it, it happened exactly that way. So Peter's writing from the point of having experienced Jesus saying what he's going to do in a miraculous way. They also heard Jesus say that if I go 
and prepare a place for you. I'm going to return and I'm going to come and get you so that you can be with me. It's in John chapter 14. So knowing that Jesus could do the impossible and always did what he said he would do, they lived with expectation of his return. Can you imagine living this way? Each morning you get up excited, like you probably did this morning, excited that you get to go to church, excited that you get to worship. But, but imagine getting up each morning excited that you might be seeing King Jesus return today. That changes things. You gaze out the window expecting to see heaven open up and a white horse coming And on that horse, there's a rider. His name is Faithful and True. His eyes are like blazing fire and he has many crowns on his head. He's dressed in a robe dipped with blood. And his name is the Word of God. And written on his thigh and written on his robe is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Can you imagine waking up, looking out your window, is this the day? Am I going to see it today? Well, since you expect the Lord's return in that way, you'd be doing the things that God said to do. You'd be about the business that he said to be about. You wouldn't be distracted by the world. You wouldn't be distracted by your desires. You wouldn't want to do everything that you would be caught doing the very thing that God said to be doing. You would also want to do all that you could to help others be ready for when King Jesus returns. When when, when Peter wrote this letter, it was in the time of Nero's reign. Now, Nero came in as emperor at the age of 16 years old, and he grew into a ruthless tyrant. He tortured Christians. He murdered Christians. He would take their bodies, and he would raise them up on poles, and he would light them on fire so that his garden would be lit at night. He killed his mother. He killed his wife. He killed his stepbrother. He tortured. These were difficult times for Christians. And you can understand in in their perspective, understanding what all has happened thus far, understanding that their Lord and Savior has been crucified, buried, raised, and ascended. He said, I'm coming back. You can imagine with all that going on and they're seeing each other being tortured and murdered and burned at this stake, that they would say, it's time he's coming back. He's got to be coming back soon. Well, since that time in history, you know, First Peter 4, 7, he, he said the end of all things is at hand. So you can kind of sense where he's coming from as he writes that. Well, since that time, we've had world wars. We've had atrocities committed against people groups. We have nations that have risen and nations that have fallen. We have nations that have grown strong, grown weak. We have nations that have died. We have nations that have been formed. We've advanced in science and technology. We have supposedly increased in intelligence, yet in our culture today, it seems that we're worse off than we've ever been. Something is off track. 
We call up, down. We call right, wrong. We make up our own rules regarding gender and marriage and life. And when we look at our culture, it, it's, it's difficult because we're morally bankrupt as we look around us. And it's disheartening. It's discouraging. And I've been asked many times, is it going to get better? And my answer is no. It's going to get worse until Jesus comes back. The Bible says no one knows the day or the hour of the return of Christ. But we're sitting here thinking... It's got to be near. It's got to be coming, just like Peter did 2,000 years ago. Now, I know the Scripture says no one knows the hour or the day, but I'm going to stick my neck out and I want to make a prediction. Before you fire me, listen. As of 9 o'clock this morning, we're a day closer than we've ever been. As of this moment right now, we're an hour closer, we're a minute closer to his return than we've ever been in history. Behold, the end of things are at hand. They genuinely are. We don't know when. We could walk out the door today. We could hear the trumpets of God today. We could see heaven open up today. Are you ready today? Do you live expecting his return? Do you turn your ears toward heaven, listening for the trumpet of Jesus? Do you live obediently to what he said to do? Are you helping people be prepared in case today is the day? You see the responsibility that we have as the church. Peter wrote these verses with the expectation of Christ's return soon. 2,000 years later, we're reading the letter and we're looking at our culture and I think we can come in agreement. He's coming soon. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. 1 Peter 4. Verses 7 through 11. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. If you want to keep your scripture open, we're just going to be walking through these verses. And I want to show you what what I see in these verses. Number one in your outline, if you're following, 
We are to have the mind of Christ. We're to have the mind of Christ. Peter said, be self-controlled. As a result of of the the times are nearing the end, be self-controlled. Now, a common definition of self-control is restraining your impulses concerning other people, circumstances, or your desires. The biblical definition is to be in the right state of mind with the ability to act sensibly. Well, thankfully, we're given Scripture, and we see the stories of even our heroes who have failed miserably with this. David did not act sensibly with Bathsheba. Jonah did not act sensibly when God called him to go to Nineveh. Peter did not act sensibly when he was challenged on the night of the crucifixion. Do you know Jesus? He didn't act sensibly. You know, you and I could compile a list of the things in the past that we have not acted sensibly. We could probably compile a list today where we have not acted sensibly. And what that tells us is that we need self-control. Now, self-control is not the gumption to do better. We're told in Galatians chapter 5 that that one of the things that the the, the the Holy Spirit does within us as he produces self-control. So if you and I are behaving without self-control, it means we're not relying on the Holy Spirit that's been given us. So we must reflect the mind of Christ through the ability of the Holy Spirit within us. That means we surrender to his guidance. Peter also said we are to be sober Being sober-minded, we are clear-headed. That we are not to be tossed to and fro with the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. We face things realistically. One commentary said when when Peter said that we are to be sober-minded, he was referring to the end times. That don't be talking irrationally about what you think. And they, the commentary used some modern-day examples of, of folks who are calculating the moment when Jesus returns. And when he doesn't return, they recalculate the number when Jesus will return. And when he doesn't return, they recalculate the number again. That's irrational thinking. And simply, all that we need to do is look at God's Word, and he says, no one knows the hour. No one knows the day. So the moment someone says, you know, I think I've got it figured out, you can say you're a liar. You are deceived. You're not sensible. Don't buy the book. Don't fund what they're thinking. It's irrational. Being sober-minded, we exercise restraint and we practice sound judgment. So why must we be self-controlled and why must we have a sober mind? Peter says it's for the sake of our prayers. It's for the sake of our prayers. Having the mind of Christ for the sake of our prayers, free from irrational thinking, and we're ready to hear from God. And when we're ready to hear from God, we will hear from him. And when we do hear from him, we can do what he says to do. Number two in your outline, have the compassion of Christ. He said, keep loving one another earnestly. Well, here's a sad truth I'm sure you've experienced. People hurt 
people is what we do. Some of us are really good at it. Now, honestly, when we look at this, uh, sometimes hurting others is because of miscommunication. It's an inadvertent hurting. It's a misunderstanding. But other times, out of our old nature, we intentionally hurt someone else. Thankfully, that's not representative of God's love toward us. God commands us to love others with his love. So we choose not to retaliate. We choose not to take revenge. We choose not to keep a record of wrongs. We choose not to gossip. We choose not to slander. We choose not to talk behind others' backs. But what we do do is we choose to continuously love each other intentionally, sacrificially, and unconditionally. See, that's the love that God has given us, and that's the love that we share with others. Jesus said, this is how the world will know. You are my disciples if you love one another. And that's the love with God's love, not not the love that we can generate on our own. It's the love that that makes no sense. It's the love that's showing that, that God is greater than our circumstances. See, God's love is more than just saying, I love you. God's love is more than just tolerating one another. God's love is an intentional act that reflects Christ's compassion. Listen, even when you've been hurt. That's the kind of love that covers a multitude of sins. Hospitality is the next area. He says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Well, hospitality is showing care to others. Being hospitable recognizes the responsibility of being gracious with all God has given us. Now, you probably know someone that has the gift of hospitality. And I must say, I'm a little jealous when I'm around them because they just do it so well. And they make you feel so welcome into their home. But we're all commanded to be hospitable. And you hear that today, and I don't want you going home. It's like, shoot. Now I have to invite someone over to the house. Because I'm supposed to be hospitable. Well, let's look at that again. What did he say? Show hospitality to one another without what? Without grumbling. It's a joy to be hospitable. It's a joy to recognize all that God has given you. It's a joy that that we see God's grace and his provision in our life and, and we get to be hospitable to other people. We also see in this passage that we are to speak the words of God. What other resource do you and I have that can change the eternal destination of someone's life? What other resource do we have that can encourage someone through difficulties? And the answer is God's word. God's word is always the answer. When when you're challenged, when you're encouraged, when you're broken, when you're lost, 
turn to God's word. Share his word with others so that they know God's truth and they know God's promise. We use our words. We use our words a lot. We can use our words for good or we can use our words for destruction. But if we speak God's words, we're using it to encourage and to build up. When we use our words, we might encourage, but usually our nature tears people down. And we're told not to give up meeting together. We're told that we are, when we come together, we're to encourage one another. That, that does not mean you come sit down to be encouraged. That means you are looking around to see who you can encourage when you're in God's house. We are all to be encouragers of one another. We're all to be building up one another. The world does a fine enough job of tearing each each of us down. We don't need that in God's house. Number three, have the humility of Christ. He said, serve one another. Now that word that's translated as serve is the same word in Greek that's translated deacon. Serve and deacon. It means to take care of others through humble service. We are to serve one another with the gift we have received. Now the gift of the Holy Spirit is God's means of regenerating our spirit to new life. This is how we know if we've been saved, that we've been regenerated. We we, we don't know that we've been saved by attendance or by tithing or by going on mission trips. We know that we've been saved by the regeneration of our spirit, that we've been born again, that we are different, that we are changed. His spirit enables us to carry out the work that God has assigned for his church and for his mission in the world today. It's important that we have the Holy Spirit and we should be grateful that we have him in our lives. So understanding God's word and understanding salvation, you are not saved if you do not have the Spirit. But the other side of that is if the Holy Spirit dwells in you, you have been equipped with the gift of the Holy Spirit to serve the body of Christ. So we can't step back and say, yes, I'm saved, but I've not been given the gift to serve the church. Wrong answer. If you have the Holy Spirit, you have been given the gift. And he said to serve, serve each other. The church becomes less effective if you have the Spirit dwelling in you and you're not serving the church. You might ask, well, why would the church be less effective? Well, I'd say God commanded us to serve one another. And because he commanded us to serve one another, he gave us his spirit with the gift to serve. So if we choose not to serve, we're just being disobedient to what God said to do. Well, it's clear that disobeying God's commands will not increase our effectiveness. Disobeying God's commands will will not increase our ministry or our missions. You might be sitting here thinking, Steve, I I don't know what my spiritual gift is, so I, I really can't serve. Well, I would say this, begin. 
serving somewhere. And you keep serving somewhere until you discover what God has gifted you for, and then you do that. We're told five times in the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit is the gift of God. He has given his spirit to his people and his spirit manifests himself in various ways of grace to serve the church in different capacities. I've taken the spiritual gifts test before. I've taken it a number of times throughout my life and the gifts have not stayed the same. See, the Holy Spirit manifests himself in me as is needed for the place that I'm in. And so I must be receptive to that. And it's always to serve for his glory. So where can you volunteer? Well, you can volunteer in children's ministry. You can volunteer in youth ministry, in college ministry. You can volunteer and celebrate recovery. You can volunteer in hospitality. You can volunteer in the blessed hands ministry. You can volunteer in a small group. You can volunteer in a discipleship group. There are various ways to serve. The key is that we do. Steve, I don't have the time or the energy. Well, I can't convict you over your time, but I will say this. When, when you become a child of God, you don't squeeze him into your calendar. You surrender your calendar to him, and he prioritizes your life. There will be time to serve him with the gift he's given you for his church, for his glory. The energy, well, he already told us here in this passage that we're to serve in the strength of God. With all of God's strength, with all of God's ability, we serve each other in his church. I'm comforted knowing that God does not command us to do something that he has not equipped us for. See, if he didn't equip us, he sends us out to be failures. And he's not doing that. He's saying, here's how you thrive. Do what I say. Here's how you thrive. You use the gift I've given you. Here's how you become a greater church is you do what I'm equipping you to do and you serve each other and you serve the community. Greater things are to be done in this city. What a song we sang. It pierced my heart. There's much more to do here. We are not coasting to the end. There's much more work to be done. God knows his body. He knows what his body needs. So he adds to his church the people needed to accomplish his ministry and mission in that church. Now, I don't know if you hear that, but it means that you have been added to this body or that God is calling you to this body because you are needed in this body to accomplish his ministry and mission. The gift that he's given you is required here for us to, to be productive in what he has called us to do. You're essential. One of the worst things that we do as Christians is avoid commitment. 
I could stand here and ask for volunteers. And I could cast my gaze across the congregation. And as I turn, heads go like this. (laughs) If I don't make eye contact, I don't have to make a commitment. We avoid commitment. Here's one way that we avoid commitment. We don't join the church. See, if you don't join the church, you don't have to serve. Or we don't show up consistently. If I don't show up consistently, then I'm not asked to serve. Or we treat the church like Golden Corral Buffet. We take a little here, we take a little in Gadsden, we take a little in Albertville, all the while not making a commitment to one. What has God called us to? The variety or to his body? See, he calls us here. He calls us to his body. And I want you to hear me because this this goes to all people, no matter your age. And when I say that, I'm not talking to older folks. I'm talking to younger folks too. No matter your age, God calls you to one body of believers because he has equipped you to serve in that body for us to be effective and efficient in our ministry here. That means we're to be fully committed, participating, contributing, and serving. And if you have not done so, it's time to commit to the Lord's church today. This isn't something we need to sit back and pray about. If God is calling you here, the answer is yes. He knows what's best. He knows what's needed. He knows what's essential that comes to us. What do we do? Why is this important? Peter says it clearly. So that in everything, God may be glorified in Christ Jesus. See, that is is the banner over everything. It's not about my comfort. It's not about where my friends are. It's not about what I think might be better. It's where God called me because it's for his glory and not mine. It's always about God. It's not about you. And it's not about me. It's about God. So I would ask, are you committed to serving his church with the gift he has given you? To be a great church, we must have the mind of Christ. We must have the compassion of Christ. And we must serve in the humility of Christ. Have you received the gift of the Holy Spirit? The gift of the Holy Spirit, listen, is the guarantee of your eternal salvation. Do you have him? Do you know that you have him? See, if you don't know that, there's where you begin. Is God calling you to him? And that's the first answer. Yes, Lord, I need a savior. I am lost without you. I'm lost in my sin. And I know that that my destination is an eternal hell without God because I cannot do it on my own. I haven't deserved anything else but what I get. And I can't get myself out of the hole. If you understand what that means, if you understand that, that God sent his son for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not 
perish, but have eternal life. If you understand that, and you understand that I have not received him, I have not believed in him, I have not asked him for salvation, then you will perish. If you understand that God is calling you today, the answer is yes. Regenerate my spirit. Give me life. Give me the gift of the Holy Spirit that I might serve you. If you are saved, are you committed to one church? Now, if he's calling you somewhere else, my encouragement to you is go. That's where you need to be. But if he's calling you here, come. Because we need you. God did that. He is a great master puzzle putter togetherer. You know, we look at each other. And we ask why. We see the people that have been added and we see different skill sets coming in. And really, we shouldn't be questioning what's happening here. Is The question is, what's God doing here? What's he equipping us for? Because that sets the vision for the church. Is he calling you today? If you've been attending, I'm so glad you have been. But if God's calling you, I'm going to encourage you to answer him today. Be part of his body of Christ. Are you serving where God has called you? I I wish I could erase every excuse that we come up with about why we can't serve. But the fact is we all can. With the gift of the Holy Spirit, he enables us. He equips us to do what God has called us to do. If we don't say yes, and if if some of us say yes, we might still get ministry accomplished. It won't be as great as it would have been otherwise. It won't be as easy as when we all come together as the body, functioning together as God has ordained us. It's important. So what do we do? I, you know, I thought through this. We could have had clipboards out here and, and say, here's how you sign up. Um, we're going to have an invitation. You come up and say, I'm ready. You can take that flap off of your bulletin right now and say, count me in. I'm ready to serve. If you just say, I'm ready to serve, we'll contact you. We'll talk about the areas that you might feel led or the areas of need in our church. And we can help place you in that place where you can begin serving. We need each other. But it's all for the glory of God. So I'm going to lead us in prayer. And uh, the invitation is, is simply this. If you're lost, come to Jesus. If he's calling you here, be part of this church. If you're not serving, begin today. Let me pray and then we'll have our invitation. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning as as beggars in need of bread 
we're broken, needing healing. Some of us are lost in need of a Savior. The answer is always Jesus. The promise is is listed all through your word if we would simply trust and obey. Lord, I submit this time to you now and I, I pray that as you call your church together, Lord, that we would respond for your glory through Jesus Christ in his church. Lord, may we be a light. May we be a beacon in the darkness because you're not finished with Boaz. And you're not here yet, but Lord, you said you're coming back and there will be no more time. So Lord, we submit ourselves to you now. May you be glorified in our response to you now. In Jesus' name.